the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now, back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. And we are back the time, 611. Let me go ahead and read this article, because I really do want to hear from you on it, uh, for those of you who have been hanging out with me for the last hour now. The four questions that the young lady is asking are rendering concerning her teenagers. I'll try to find her name to give it to you. Three powerful questions to unlock the heart of your teens. And if you want to call in about the struggles you may be having with your teens, we can talk about it. I had a few. (laughs) Still got one. Yeah, one teen left. Had a few, so I know a little bit of something about it. So she says, I have a hobby you might find unusual. I collect questions. While some people collect dolls and baseball cards or antiques, I collect questions. You might wonder why I even started this, and I'll tell you. I came to recognize what a powerful teaching tool questions were and how they can really serve as a heart connector. Obviously, she's using the analogy of the Lord Jesus in doing it. She said he used questions to gather information. How many loaves do you have? Whose likeness and image is on this coin? And who do you say that I am? To just quote a few, and this is certainly true. The questions in the Bible are uh, enormous in terms of their amount. Well, here's what she says. If God gives us children... He calls us to pray for them. As I pray, I have both long-term and short-term requests for them. For example, I ask God on a regular basis that he would sanctify them by the word and provide for them a godly spouse. Now, those are two great things to pray for your children for, that God would sanctify them through the word. What a great what a great uh, point of prayer at the top of the list when you go to pray. What should I pray about? Do you have kids? That God would sanctify them through the word. That the word would make an impact in their life when they come to church. Because it's not guaranteed that our children will hear the word of God when they come to church. It's not guaranteed that the word of God will penetrate their heart just because they are sitting in the proximity of the hearing. I have stated it before. You are not hearing the word of God simply because you are in church. You are exposed to the word of God in church. You only hear the word of God when your heart is humbled enough to recognize that you are in the presence of authority and authority is speaking into your life. That's a big difference. But she says she prays for that. And then she says, I am praying for a godly spouse. Other requests might be more short term and related to a deficiency. I hope the Lord will change like growing in joy or in kindness. So she recognized that they may have character issues and she wants them to grow in that. That's another great thing to pray about. You may see things in your children like selfishness or narcissism, which is a big fundamental problem with all of us. Selfishness and narcissism, you know, will not uh, that's not going to work well with the children uh, becoming young, responsible adults and acquiring a good job, which requires maturity, which requires sharing and cooperation, et cetera, et cetera. So selfishness and uh, narcissism, narcissism is going to hinder that. On the other hand, if your child is joyful, if your child is kind, doors will certainly open up for them, even if their competency level in that matter, that that particular job is not all that um, available. And then she goes on to say, correcting our children when they're wrong 
when they're young is right and absolutely called for. That's another article I was reading today about how to discipline your children. That's why God gives us little children. But as my children grew older, my speaking and encouragement needed to grow more sophisticated. This is what I used to say to parents all the time. You must shift when your children shift. You talk to your children a certain way from, you know, birth to three years old. And then once they become much more intellectually capable of dialoguing with you with much more complicated uh, a conversation, then you change the conversation. As they get older, however, and start maturing in different areas, then you got to shift your position with them and become more of an authoritarian. Yes, it has to be loving, but it has to be authoritarian because foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. And those of us who are honest about that realize that and the only thing that you can do is put parameters around their foolishness so that they they bump their head within a safe context. As they start moving into teenage years, that becomes a whole different thing. And this is really where our sister is going to bring in the questions before we take a break. It says, as their hearts... As their heart and motivations grow deeper, so did my questions. Scripture says that when we speak without listening, we are foolish. And a wise man draws out the deep purposes of a person's heart. Actually, it's rendered um, the heart of man is like uh, deep waters, and only a person that is wise can draw the counsel out of it. Uh, A wise person can draw that counsel out. And that's actually speaking to Christ in his work. But here's the question that she raises. How do we draw out the deeper waters of the heart? Simply asking, how would you like me to pray for you? This is her first one. So as a strategy, ladies, here's how you would begin to start working with your teens. When you see an issue, a pathology, a behavior pattern that's consistent and problematic, before you bring them into trial and deal with it in terms of assessment and it's wrong, which you you may have to do. Why don't you first say, you know, I'm noticing that, that something's going on. And the sister says, ask them the question, you know, how would you like me to pray for you? This is one good place to start. So write that down. Uh, honey, how would you like for me to pray for you in this regard or any issue? She might also be saying you may be struggling as a teenager with a bunch of things and you may or may not want to share with your parents all of them. But if your parents are, are, are saying, hey, I want to pray for you or me and dad wants to pray for you. Um, what would you like for us to pray about? And, and, and listen, parents, and I know that there are a lot of you listening to me right now. This is a great way to interact with your kids, even at a young age three, four, five, and six. How would you guys like for us, mommy and daddy, to pray for you? What would you want us to pray about? And then keep that as a practice. Don't overdo it, but keep it as a practice over the years. And you will probably discover that they can find in you a mediation until they come to know the Lord Jesus Christ for themselves. Isn't that wonderful? First, no matter how strained the relationship is, she says, No matter how strained the relationship is, everyone appreciates prayer. I think that's true. It is a way of communicating love, and our children will feel our love. Here's a second question before I go to the break, and I'll deal with two more. Second, this open-ended question causes our children to do something in terms of soul searching. Here's what it says. What in my life needs prayer? What in my life needs prayer? What are the stress points in my life that I am willing to tell my mom and dad about? Mom and dad are available to the child that is willing to talk to them when they know that mom and dad are going to pray for it. And so what she's saying is 
asked him, what are the stress points? What are the areas in your life that are stressful for which I can pray for you? So now you're not just asking whether or not you can pray for them for general things. But you are sensing that they are having struggles in school, maybe struggles in math for boys. That's the case. Uh, Maybe struggles in relationships for girls. That's often the case, social issues. And if you can get them to tell you specifically what to pray for, boom, you got a relationship of intimacy already started. Now you are exercising the priesthood element in your family, mothers and fathers, She says, third, it builds a common bond. Now, the two of us are going to be praying about this problem together, honey, and we are standing shoulder to shoulder to fight some of life's problems with you. Here's the fourth benefit. This kind of inquiry gives you something deeper to talk about in the future. After you pray for a while, and you should, you can follow up by asking, how is it going? You asked me to pray about this, and I have. What has the Lord been doing in your life around that? Asking this question binds your hearts together. In addition, it allows you to be appropriately vulnerable and invite your children to pray for you. Paul asks churches to pray for him all the time. We should ask our children to pray for us as well. Isn't that great? All right, I'm going to take a break, and I am going to ask you to call me, one 367 5329 one You may have some better ideas around um, developing communion with your kids, strengthening relationships with them, particularly in the teenage years, but I do have two more I want to share with you. one 367 5329 I will take any question you may render on this Monday edition of Lifeline, so long as it's within the boundaries of reason. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. We're back. The time 623 on the Monday edition of Lifeline, October 23rd as well, 2017. This is actually a good topic. I'd love to hear from you what your thoughts are about it. one 367 Parents trying to reach the hearts of their children. Don't you think the first two uh, questions are really good? Actually, the author is Chap Bettis. Chap sounds like a man, but he it could be a female. Chap Bettis, and as we were uh, stating, the first question was um, how how might I pray for you? And then the second question is what in your life specifically should I be praying um, relative to um, you know challenges that are going on? Um, and 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 I think asking our teens. Uh, can we pray for them is powerful. And then asking specifically, um, you know, what might be a struggle in their life, because we know teens struggle. We've been there. Uh, it's great. But I, I stated earlier that I would actually start earlier. I would start earlier uh, with with asking that I may employ this with my grandkids as I as I think it through, because that's a great way to actually keep them on your heart when you pray. If you're a prayer warrior, as you and I ought to be. Uh, with our kids, and especially if they share a little secret with you, you know, you know, like they want something particular and, you know, they really would like God to give it to them. That's great. And then if God actually gives it to them, do you understand how powerful you will be in your grandchildren's life when they think they can go to grandpa and say, pray for this, and then they know they're going to get it? <sighs> Wonderful being a grandparent. In any event, the third question and fourth question has to do with the teen years, and this is where it becomes challenging. And I definitely will take your calls if you guys want to go into that for this next 30 minutes. Uh, the teen years, she says, or he says, are notorious for disagreements. Can we get an amen? 
Young people alternate between surprising us with their mature and immature behavior alike, often within the same hour. I tell parents that who are struggling with kids that young teens are both babies uh, and budding adults at the same time. So they are they are definitely crossing over the line one way or the other, depending on their level of security and their level of insecurity. They will quickly regress to mama's boy or our daddy's baby uh, when they need something or when they are insecure and then they will act like they can handle the world all by themselves when they are operating out of high levels of testosterone and all the other stuff, hormones that that cause them to have levels of confidence that are irrational. They go on to say, but those radical swings between maturity and immaturity, character, uh, character and sin, can leave us with whiplash, <laughs> as a good analogy, and even frayed relationships. Isn't that true? And remember, it's most likely that our children will not take the initiative to calm and restore the relationship. So we want to be the proactive one in taking steps toward them. That's right. As a rule, um, our kids are not going to come back unless they have done something overtly sinful or wrong. Uh, and, and my kids have done that from time to time. But basically, um, you either let the issue die on the vine and you move forward in love or the parent has to be the more proactive one. Uh, and address it so that there can be some closure and moving forward. But when they're teenagers, it's very precarious, isn't it? And that's because they're really struggling in themselves, and parents often become the brunt of it. They go on to say, over the years, though, much sin of my own, I have found two questions to be helpful in restoring a frayed relationship with my teens. Here are the two questions. So write this down. The first of the two is, what do you think I didn't understand about what you said? masterful, masterful. So you know the scenario, right? You know the scenario where your child has come in and they got an issue uh, and it may not be with you, but you have sought to help them take a proper perspective on the issue. And now they're saying to you, you don't understand. That's like one of the main questions that they uh, observations and retorts that they give you uh, over and over again. You don't understand. You don't understand. You don't understand. And if they can find one other adult that agrees with them, then you're in the doghouse for sure. My parents don't understand. My daddy doesn't understand. If you ask them, so what is it that I don't understand? Here's what happens. They now have to try to explain to you what it is they believe you don't understand. And you might discover that there were parts of what they said that you didn't understand. That's going to be helpful. Now you're going to have to back up and say, oh, I didn't understand that. I'm glad you clarified that. That's going to bridge the gap in the conflict of misunderstanding, which we're all going to have. Great question. What do you think I don't understand? Here's the fourth one. How do you think I have sinned against you? Because frequently our kids will take the position that what we have done is sinned. We, we've sinned because we didn't understand what they said. We exercised trumped authority over them. We just usurped our opinion and views over them. And that was it. Uh, we've sinned against them. Of course, they were offended. So there is a one-sided truth to that matter. The individual says the first question allows them to restate the issue in their terms. What do you think? I don't understand. I'm asking humbly to get 
uh, get the log out of my own eye. It's important not only that I understand, but that I, but that they feel understood. Following up this question with, here's what I heard you say, is that correct? Allows you to reinforce that you do do understand what they are telling you. Now, you know, these are all kind of philosophical methods that we all know. Be very careful because if your kids know these methods, they can turn them on you. <laughs> so be careful that you don't become subservient to this uh, the superficial method. And what I say, what I mean by superficial is if our kids' hearts are just hard, um, they won't be truthful. Even if you use these techniques, they'll just use a, a form of avoidance and find a way to get out of, uh, of, of following the logical track of being more confessional about their maybe confused attitude, their resentful attitude, their conflicted attitude, um, and realize that they are a contributing factor to the conflict as well. But you still want to have a method by which you try to press into it in a way that opens them up. The second question, how do you think I have sinned against you? How do you think I've sinned against you? Brings the question down to the heart level. You are asking them to put into words what behavior of yours hurt them. Now, we can definitely be uh, vulnerable to that because now they get to talk about just what you did or said that hurt them. And if they're hurt, they're hurt. And then we got to say, I'm sorry. Um, But we do get to talk about why we may have said something a particular way that they may not have understood. You see what the author is saying. This is a way to maintain communication with our kids and try to work through the difficult times. He goes on to say, I hope that the benefits of these questions are obvious to you. First, you are admitting that you may not understand the issue, or at least you're perceiving that they don't think you understand. You're giving them permission to clarify your understanding. Secondly, you are admitting you may have sinned against them. That's very true. By using the word sin, you have, you bring the Lord into the picture of the disagreement. You are not at this point admitting you have sinned, but you are inviting their perspective. Thirdly, the Lord will honor the humility in these questions. Your approachability will make an impact on your team, even if you don't change your mind about the conflict. Your team will have the felt, heard, and cared. Your team will have felt, heard, and been cared for. I think that's good. I think that's true. Also, your friends' questions were a strategic tool in the ministry of Jesus. Imitating our teacher, we can become more skilled with this tool and therefore therefore become more skilled in our parenting discipleship. I think that's a good way to put it. Write these questions someplace where you can easily find them again. The front of your Bible might work well. These questions, along with plenty of others, will serve as your friends for building relationships within your house and the household of God. I think that's really good. Love to hear from you. Going to take a break. We've got two more segments, and I'd like to close by dialoguing with you. If not, I've got some other things to share. one 367 5329 I'll be right back. And now, back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. And we are back. 635 is the time. All the lines are open one 367 to call yours truly if you've got a question or a comment or observation about something in the past or something we talked about today. Love to hear from you. one 367 to reach me on this Monday edition of Lifeline. I had a caller just call in and ask that I would repeat the questions that um, that chap 
Bettis is giving to their kids, especially as they're moving to teens. Well, the first one has to do with uh, prayer. How do we draw out the deeper waters in the hearts of our kids? Here's one question, simply asking them, how would you like me to pray for you is one good place to start. So you ask them, how would you like for me to pray for you? Um, and they'll probably ask, uh, give you a general uh, sort of prayer thing like, well, pray for my health and pray for my strength. Pray that I do good in school, et cetera, et cetera. All that's good. The second one is what in your life needs prayer in, in terms of the areas of stress and difficulties? What in my life needs prayer? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, because you can pray for things that are not problematic. That's certainly all right. Just pray that things continue going well. That's a great prayer request. But then are there specific areas that are you struggling with? And, and if I would extrapolate on this particular second point, particularly when it comes to uh, the teens, uh, because the teens will be more intuitive that and you when you are asking for them to share with you where they may be struggling, they are now aware that you care. Now, this is a germane point because I think all parents care. I, I think a lot about my kids and I have thought a lot about my kids all my days as parents who are rearing children would agree with me. We think about our kids like. More than most things, to be honest with you, uh, particularly when we're moving closer into the relationship kind of thinking where you are concerned about their welfare. That's called watching. If I'm watching over my children, obviously I'm thinking about them, right? Because uh, it's not necessary for me to be in their physical presence for me to be watching them. I can watch them, as Elijah said to, to one of his servants, Gehazi, when he ran off to get the money from Naaman. Did not my heart go with you when you went to Naaman and asked for the money of which I had explicitly said I don't want to take? So, yeah, our kids, our kids leave the house and we are watching over them as we think about their attitude, as we think about certain things that they are doing. Because our kids are like the Proverbs puts it, a child is known by his ways, whether they be good or bad. And once we start seeing patterns, we're watching, aren't we? We're concerned. Well, if they're dealing with something that we know is actually a tension or a struggle in their life that is coming from the outside, that's called an affliction, by the way. Uh, then we would actually help them know that we are caring about them if we ask them, what particular areas are you struggling in that you might want to share with me for which I can pray for you? I'd be glad to pray for you if you're struggling with a relationship, if you're struggling with a particular class or subject, if you're struggling with a personal issue. And depending on how close you are, they may want to share it. And even if they don't, here's what they know. They know that you care enough to be concerned about their welfare. The other benefit of that child of God, if you're listening, is that when we are making those kinds of probing requests, they actually are hearing from God, even if they don't want to. You and I are no more like God than we are than when we are talking to our kids from the standpoint of Coromdale, God being present and us wanting to take our issues to God. That is the most godlike we can be. The third question was, what do you think I didn't understand once you and I are in conflict mode with our children? Mothers are often in conflict mode with their daughters. 
Why? Because the daughters are moving into young uh, a womanhood stage, and they're uh, they're just naturally hormonally driven to 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 debate with mom. And sometimes mom gets caught off, caught off guard, and she's the queen of the home, and she's not gonna have that. And all of a sudden, you you see this these these attitudes, and this is when dad is precariously given to silence because he doesn't quite know how to deal with all that estrogen going on and and conflict, and that's just. You know, the daughters are becoming young women and mothers are exercising their uh, queen rights in the home. And sometimes it's not as rational as it could be. They learn that as they get older, my daughters are older now, uh, beautiful women, mature women for a long time now. And in relationship with their mom, I'm sure they work some of that out. Um, But when you're teenagers, it's a battle. And so, moms, if you're listening, this is a great way to do it. Uh, Get to a place of becoming really And then again, you see what's happening. And I've said this so many times as well. When we become parents, we're growing up all over again because we are discovering that there are areas in our lives as parents that we are inadequate in and our children get to take us on the second go round in those areas. And if we discover that as a grown person, the best life you can have as a grown person is to be a praying grown person then what better impetus, what better drive, what better grounds and motivation for prayer than our children? And as Christians, we ought to be prayer praying people, but a lot of times we're not until trouble and crisis hits our homes. Am I telling the truth? And as such, then we, we need to be uh, we need to be practicing prayer. This is a great time for those of you with, with young kids. Practice prayer with them and let this be a constant through your life and, and, and see the fruits of it. So the uh, second one is what in your life can I pray for specifically? The third one is what do you think I didn't understand? Help me understand what you were really saying. Further explain it so I can get it because I may have missed you. And then the fourth one is, how do you think I have sinned against you? If you if you are acting as if I have sinned against you, let me know what that is because I actually need to know. Because sometimes um, we have done the right thing, but we have not necessarily taken into consideration how they felt about it. And as such, we need to recover that, secure that, because even though we may be right in what we said, we may even have been right in what we did. We don't want to have what we said or did to to sustain and to be the the final word at the expense of having hurt them. I think the Apostle Paul said it many times. Uh, I do not mean to hurt you, even though it hurt and it bears its peaceable fruits. I do not mean to hurt you. And in relationships with our kids, it's good for them to know that it's good for them to know that uh, it's good for parents. Uh, it's good for husbands and wives to know that as well. Uh, you do know that uh, a wife can hurt her husband. So please know that as tough as we may be as men and we'll toe the line and keep doing what we do, you can hurt us with your words and your actions, with your neglect, with your avoidance, and definitely with uncareful words. Um, and if it matters to you, then um, you know, rectify that. And vice versa, if I hurt you, I need to know that and I need to to say I'm sorry because we can be right and we shouldn't ever compromise what is right, but definitely not at the loss of um, of hurt. So I think this topic was really good. And I've got one segment to go. If you want to call in and uh, and chat one triple eight three six seven five three two nine one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. We're moving towards the end of the year and I'm loving it because uh, we're moving up towards the Thanksgiving uh, celebration. 
And that's a wonderful time of year. And then our uh, Christmas Advent, where we uh, celebrate the birth of our Savior in a lengthy series of biblical exposition. We're going to be going through a series starting at the end of November throughout the whole of December on the uh, uh, the birth and life of Christ in the Gospel of Luke. It's going to be a great series, <clears throat> if I may say so myself, if the Lord is willing that we live and get there. But I will also say, um, as I have an opportunity for those of you who've gotten on board with the program today, I really do really would love to see you guys come out on November 10th at 630 p.m. at Valley Bible Church in Pinole, our KFAX listener appreciation dinner and time of worship and proclamation. If you weren't with us earlier, November 10th, you'll hear some of this on our Way of Grace program, but we definitely want to encourage you to come out. And before you come out, we wouldn't want you to call and uh, tell Pastor Phil that you're going to be there because they want to make sure that they have enough food and enough resources to provide for everyone. Um, it's just, it's, it's a respectful thing to do. If you guys live in the Vallejo area, if you live in the um, uh, Pittsburgh area, Antioch area, zipping right down the four for 20 minutes and show up on that Friday at 630 will be great. If you're in Concord, Pleasant Hill, um, if you are in Richmond and in Berkeley, um, boy, we would be glad to have you. Vallejo, and certainly my brothers and sisters here in Oakland. And if you're just one of those adventurous groups that, uh, you know, will drive a long distance just to have the great opportunity to get there, that's what I'm going to encourage you to do. Come out and be with us on that night so we can have a great time of worship. Listen, I'm going to take a break, and then after that, um, we'll have some more conversation on the Monday edition of Lifeline as we close out. This hour, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine is the number to reach me. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistan. And we're back. The time six forty seven. Few minutes to go in this segment. Be glad to hear from you. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight. Three six seven five three two nine. I was just thinking about the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ in the days of His flesh. How that in 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 even Him doing good, healing people, and liberating people, and freeing people from the bondage of sin and the the uh, diseases of the body. Um, and, and, and the scriptures are so clear. He. He had the spirit of God without measure, and only God can have God like that without measure. No man can have God without measure, but Christ did because he is deity himself. And he he did healings and miracles that were phenomenal in nature, and as a consequence, his fame went abroad, as was the intent and purpose for it. But I'm just reading in Mark's Gospel, chapter 3, the boldness of our master in the midst of a worship service where uh, a man is lame. And, and he knows that the Pharisees are watching him, as verse 2 says. And they watched him, whether he would heal on the Sabbath day, that they might have to accuse him. Now, y'all know who the accuser of the brethren is. But he incarnate, he incarnates himself in Antichrist anti-Christian uh, religious folks, as well as others. And our Lord had to deal with these anti-Christ men um, simply because, well, he was the Lord. And he said unto the man which had the withered arm, stand forth. In other words, he took this man of whom he was about to heal and made him the center of attention in order to demonstrate to the people that were around him the merciless, heartless, and impotence of the rulers of the church of that day. 
Here this brother is bound, confined, limited. And the Lord Jesus has the ability to heal him. And there are people who would actually have this man to remain crippled on the Sabbath day. Isn't religion absurd and insane when it denies the logic that comes from the true and the living God in the word of God and in the person of Christ? Here is a demonstration of the sufficiency of the grace of God in Christ in the person of Jesus to one who is in need. Here is an opportunity where Christ is going to manifest his glory without this lame man even asking him. This is sovereign grace. He says, stand forth. And then he says to him in verse five, says to the public in verse five, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath day or to do evil or to save life and to kill? Now watch this. They held their peace. Now who did? Everybody in the church. How come? Because they were afraid of men because they didn't understand the gospel. They didn't understand their very existence was in order for them to look for a Messiah who would come and do the only good that he could do. To render peace and joy and liberty and rest in the souls of men. I am come that they might have life, Christ said. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will rest you. I will deliver you from your disease and dis-ease and pain and suffering through the grace that is in me. They held their peace because they didn't believe the gospel. And when he had looked around about them with anger, I'm working on that right now because we're in John chapter 11, where Christ groans at uh, the behavior of the people because they thought he had come too late. He looked around on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their heart. He said unto the man, stretch forth your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored whole as others. Now, if that's not a time for shouting and rejoicing and acknowledging that God had visited his people in healing this man. And yet the Pharisees and rulers of the church were hardened in their hearts when they saw this miracle. How insane we are by nature when we find ourselves operating against the way God works and through whom he works to manifest his glory when life is all about us. It's amazing. But the last lesson on this before we go to our phone lines is that the, you never want to depict the Lord Jesus Christ as being weak and wimpy and just effeminate. Never, 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 never do it. There's not a stitch of scripture that would assert that he was the kind of man that could be pushed back and and uh, controlled and and, uh, and 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 as it were, uh, bullied, if you will. He was valiant. In the truth, he had a grace about him that was just absolutely alluring, but he was every bit a real man. And that's the kind of men we need today in the cause of the gospel. We really do. Our culture is a culture of death on so many levels, and particularly when it comes to uh, biblical manhood. Our culture is redefining gender roles and redefining uh, the offices and and characteristics of males and females. Our our state has just now lifted the felony law on HIV. Insane. And how then are we going to produce and have a society of godly men if we don't teach them that boldness and standing for righteousness is absolutely a messianic attribute essential to the salvation of not only the men, but the women and the families and the children? We should celebrate strong brothers, celebrate them, not uh, not beat them down, not uh, not oppose them, uh, not stand against them. And then we should also celebrate strong women. 
as long as we stay in our lanes. Let me go to line number one briefly and talk with Deborah in Oakland. Deborah, what's your question, comment, or observation, young lady? Oh, I agree with everything you've said, Jesse, mm-hmm. because I have a real problem. Which one? I love the body of Christ, as you know. Mm-hmm. And I love the pastors and the, the laymen in the church. But a lot of times, it's easy to be in a public meeting and act Christ-like. But when you're not there, when you're living your everyday life, when nobody's watching you... It's difficult. Are you really a Christian? And that is the question, because for me, you know I was in a wheelchair at one time. Mm -hmm. Now I'm... Bedridden. Now I'm bedridden. And it's a real challenge, because I'm social. I'm very social. And I'm Sometimes I get really, really disappointed because when you were talking about it last week, someone would be offended because they thought I was referring to them specifically. Yeah. Because they had a problem with me. I wasn't referring to anybody. They do that. That's, listen, unfortunately, and, and I'm glad you called on that, two things. I didn't know who they were. And you weren't talking about them. But this is the problem with the body of Christ in many areas, not all areas. This is why I've been teaching this year the need for us to mature, because people take things and and, and, and draw wrong conclusions all the time. They just do it all the time. And, and that's just a lack of maturity. This personal insecurities in their own life. And sometimes when the Lord sets out examples like you're sharing today about how um you know, how we can be one way in public and another way in private. Um, Somebody's going to be upset listening, but I'm a pastor. I've been dealing with these kinds of things for, for 20 plus years. It's in, it's, unavoidable that when we share struggles and issues and we set up examples like you're doing, Deb, that somebody is going to assume you're talking about them personally. I mean, pastors know. Y'all know, don't y'all pastors, that these kinds of things have people leaving the church and talking about you said something about them personally when the Holy Spirit was just getting in people's business and they didn't really want to accept the fact that we are all being probed by the Spirit when we lay out people's issues. You just heard me read about uh, the Lord Jesus causing a lame man to stand up in the middle of the congregation, right? Yes. Right. Well, that lame man, he, he didn't, he wasn't hurting anybody, but he certainly needed attention and he wasn't getting it from the rulers and he wasn't getting it from the people in the church. Cause we all pretty comfortable as long as we have our assigned pews in many cases. It is true, Deb, that until we grow up, and out of ourselves, we won't really be able to serve at the level of a uh, a healthy, viable Christocentricity. We are too self conscious and too personal, and it's just true. It's just it's true. But they're believers. I trust they are. If they have a proper understanding of the grace of God in Christ, they're believers. They just can't help you, or they can't help me uh, when we are operating with those limitations. They can't, and we just have to pray that God would bring other people along who have a better understanding of relationships. Another question, Jesse, is can can I, is it possible when they have that meeting with your, your pastor friend at, you know... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know Pastor Phil? You've heard him. Yeah, but I've never met him personally, but I would like to be a part of that. Is would Do you think it would be possible for someone to bring me a meal? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Without a doubt. So you know the office number, right? My office number? 
I intimidate too, yeah. Uh, call, talk to Narita, and we'll make sure that it happens. Okay. Okay? You well, want me to call tomorrow? Yeah, you have to. You can't call tonight. Well, yeah, I know not tonight, <laughs> but I mean tomorrow. Yeah, call, and we'll make sure it happens. Okay, what time do you, What time is good to call? 9 o'clock. 9 o'clock. From okay. 9 to 5. Okay. It'll happen, girl. It'll happen. Okay, thank you. Bless Pastor you. Jesse. Bless you. And bless the saints out there, too. Are we down? Are we done yet? Not close? Close to one? Okay, good. No, that's right. Yeah. True religion and undefiled is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows and to keep oneself unspotted by the world. When we mature from the foundation of the gospel, sound doctrine, uh, building us up, giving us an inheritance among all those that are sanctified, and then the spirit fills us up to move us out and serve, 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 serve. Serve, 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 serve. By the way, teach your children to serve early. I mean, really, if we're not serving, we're going to be selfish. God help us serve, 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 serve. Live and die with a legacy of serving. Until next time, God bless you. I love you in Christ. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Media Group. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.